Welcome to Witchlit, a place to talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, author, publisher, witch, and nosy Scorpio. You can support Witchlit and the serious book habit it requires at ko-fi.com slash witchlitpodcast. And you can be part of the show by sending in your own death, sex, religion, politics, money questions for our guests to victoria at witchlitpod.com. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe and give us a rating or a view wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help other witches find the show. Here's to never getting to the bottom of our to be read piles. Jane Meredith is an author and ritualist. She lives in Australia and teaches worldwide, both in person and online. Her most recent book is Falling Through the Tree of Life, Embodied Kabbalah, a love song to the mysteries of the human and the divine. Her other books include Journey to the Dark Goddess, Aspecting the Goddess, Elements of Magic, which is co-authored with Gede Parma, and Circle of Eight, Creating Magic for Your Place on Earth. She adores rivers and trees, dark chocolate and white cockatoos, and is passionate about co-created ritual, myth, and conscious relating. Jane Meredith, welcome to Witchlet. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. I, I too, um, like dark chocolate and white cockatoos are beautiful. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Also like white chocolate weirdly, which oh, I know a lot of people have wow. deep feelings about, but <laughs> in, in its place, it can be a good thing. So, um, so our first question for everybody, you know, kind of in this age of myriad ways of communication, why write? Um, I'm a writer. <laughs> like when I was six years old, I became a writer and I've been pretty committed to it ever since. I, yeah, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the concept that um, that words in different combinations would tell stories and would kind of capture a reality, a book, like specifically with books, you know, that you could open a book and be in a world and a different world and that you could come back to that world, you know, that it was kind of a, a place, like a, an alternate reality, I guess, that existed and I could visit it. And then that I could create that. How amazing. Um, Some of the things I love about language and written language are that these little words that, like you and I are using them right now, these same little words that I might use in a book or somebody else could write down. And they're so common and they've been used so many, many times, you know, in such combinations. But yet, and yet, I can write a sentence with combinations of those words that has never been put together exactly that way ever before. You know, it's it's unique. And furthermore, like even more amazing, is that I can put together a sentence that someone reading it will be able to say, oh, that's Jane Meredith's writing. You know, and yet it's created from these really common, uh, mutually understood little word pieces that go together in these amazing ways. So Mm -hmm. I'm entranced by language. I'm entranced by the craft of writing. I'm entranced by the the magic of the world that is within the book. Uh, And yeah, that's, I'm a writer. Yeah. I know. I, I, I love that idea. I, and I can't remember, you know, like source amnesia of overwhelm of information, but uh, reading something about that, exactly what you're talking about, about, basically we're working in this language structure that, you know, what the out outside edge of limit is like, there's 500,000 words in the English language, but we use the same 26 letters for all of them. You know, it's, mm. it's just this mm. ability to create something completely new out of that is, is pretty amazing. And having read your work, I would say, yes, I think now I could say, yes, that's Jane Maris writing. <laughs> so. Wonderful. I mean, people do it with, you know, with music. You can hear a little phrase mm-hmm. if you're musically literate um, and know what musician created that or art. Mm-hmm. You can see a little corner maybe. I couldn't, but some people can, you know, mm-hmm. a little corner of painting yeah. and know who painted it. Like that signature mm-hmm. um, that comes through and yet we're creating in a medium that, every, you know, everyone who reads mm-hmm. English or everyone who can see if it's a painting or listen to a music, you know, can access. It's, it's quite accessible. Yeah. And I do think I, I love that idea of um, 
the snippet of it and being able to get it from that. Cause I do think that there is a magic in writing and that like the signature of our magic and our writing and all of that is like this thing that we create that's kind of outside what you can see with the mundane, but then it's, it's there behind all that too. So that's really lovely. Uh, so one of the things I noticed from your book and from you saying all of that is that you're a reader too. You're, totally. you're a novel reader as well. I loved that you included novels in the um, further reading for each of the Sephirot. Yeah, of and, course. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I I think a lot of times um, when we talk about nonfiction and, and sometimes even when we talk about magic, um, though I have talked to writers of nonfiction about magical and occult things that are definitely novel readers, I think they get a short shrift sometimes a little mm. bit, but there's magic and that is its own kind of magic is novel writing, I think. Well, if we're talking about creating a world, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And many of the books that I reference are um, speculative fiction Mm -hmm. and talk about creating a world. I mean, I think that I I have written fiction in the past, mainly short stories. And for me, nonfiction, even including memoir, uh, it's just so much more definite. You know, I like it because it's so definite, Mm -hmm. whereas the, the fictional world, I mean, it's even duplicated in the way publishers treat fiction and nonfiction, really, in that nonfiction you do a contract for a book on a concept and a sample. Mm-hmm. And fiction, unless you're already well-published or well-known, you know, fiction you have to write the whole thing and then hope that somebody or some publisher falls in love with it or wants to take a right. gamble on it. Whereas nonfiction, like you know what you're doing, you're contracted. Oh, it's going to be this long and it's got this in it and this is the, you know, it's just achievable in a way I I really admire those uh, fiction writers who can create this whole world and still not know if it's actually going to be published yeah yeah having having been on that end of things it is you you I have a couple novels that will stay in a drawer because they don't need to be published (laughs) so (laughs) but yeah it is it is a different it's a different beast I think that's interesting what you say about um getting published is yes, you know, nonfiction publishing, you are saying, I'm an expert in this area. I'm going to write a book on this topic. Pay me. And then with, with fiction, you do all the work up front and maybe you'll get paid. <laughs> so. Yeah. And in either case, you don't get paid very much, but at no. least you get published. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And hopefully other things come from the publishing. But so what yes. was that journey like for you for publishing your first book? What did that, what did that entail? What did that look like? Yeah. Um, it, it's a good, I have a good story and uh, maybe anyone who gets book published, that is a good story. <laughs> I, I had always been a writer since I was six, as I said, and, um, on and off since I was, you know, about, I don't know, 14 or 15, I had submitted work to various places and sometimes been published poetry, short stories, later essays as well, and articles. Um, but I'd never quite got my head around a book, and for, for a variety of reasons, one of which was I largely wrote in fiction and uh, I was, even though I had ideas and I was working on a book which actually never got finished, um, yeah, it had never quite come together for me. Where short stories was a form that I understood, essays and articles, yes, I could do memoir pieces, poems from time to time. And then I, uh, I started writing more articles and essays, I guess, to promote my work because I was teaching in this field, especially goddess-related, but mythology and magic generally. And a publisher wrote to me and said, if you write a book about your work, we will publish it. So that was what is now called Moon Books under the John Hunt Publishing mm-hmm. framework in the UK. And I looked at that offer by email and I thought, I better do this. <laughs> and then, and so then I put my head to what I had never really considered, seriously considered before, writing a nonfiction book. And I wrote my first book, Aphrodite's Magic, based on the structure. I love structure, based on the structure of a workshop that I had taught many times. Uh, and that really supported me. And I, I feel like Aphrodite such a, a great goddess to write a book with. I feel like she gave me this gift of I, I learned how to write a book um, through writing Aphrodite's Magic. And uh, yeah, I really thank her for that. Oh, that's a lovely way to think about it too. And back to that, you know, it's it, writing is its own magic too. Mm-hmm. So, I love that. Um, so having read your book, the, the latest book, The Falling Through the Tree, 
of life. Um, you live a huge expansive life, which I admire <laughs> from the memoir part of it. And so I just kind of wondered like, what, what does writing, how, how does that all fit into your teaching into just, you know, being this kind of exuberant person in the world? Like, how does writing fit in that? Cause I think of writing as such a, um, solitary, you know, kind of compartmentalized in some ways thing. So how does that all fit together for you? Yeah. And I, interestingly, I did write part of that book, like a substantial part of that book through the pandemic and through the lockdowns Mm -hmm. where I was completely alone in a house that is even at the best of times, somewhat too isolated. Mm -hmm. And um, literally I spent 70 days in my house on my own. I mean, gardening, like I'd work in the garden and I would work on the book. And I went to town three times during that 70 days to get more food. So I I love what you say about my life and it seems like almost a fiction to me that you're describing it that way. Uh, (laughs) So about about half of my life is uh, slightly too isolated and on my own and writing a book. Um, and the other half might be, yeah, gallivanting around the world, pretending that I'm doing interesting things. I mean, I am doing interesting. They're all interesting. I, yeah, I think of myself as intrinsically a writer and I do write every day. And when I'm writing a book, I try to write a thousand words every day. Mm-hmm. And that might take one hour and that might take four hours. Um This particular book, Falling Through the Tree of Life, is a weaving. Like I think of it as, you know, my life work, a great work. Like this is is it. This is as much as I can ever do. And not that I'll never do other things at all, but they will never be like this, this attempt to describe the entire universe, the all and everything, what is God, why why do I exist, Um, how does life work, Um, how does anything work at all, how does everything work. And in this great, you know, mystical kind of framework of the Kabbalah, uh, which is such a huge tradition and has so many pieces, um, like that's my impossible attempt. That's me daring the utterly impossible. And so it has got, I think, everything in it or it refers to everything. But to me... Uh, being a writer, like a, I think an essential quality, and many people have said this, is is to be curious, to be curious about life. And maybe that's partly the novel reading and, and travelling and it's having many different aspects in my life and like doing this, I guess, personal exploration um, that is definitely in that book, in the memoir sections. And, you know, that writing and thinking, sometimes I say like, oh, I get paid to think and write things down, you know, like to think about things and write them down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know that I answered your question, but yeah, well, it's I mean, it's a conversation as much as a question. So I don't know that like, yes or no is even something I could answer to that. But um, no, I, I like that idea because I do think, and then, I, you know, so many people who've been on the show already have talked about writing during the pandemic. And for some people, it was really, you know, a fertile time because they kind of had to be alone and they kind of had to be focused and like other people. And I'm in that camp, unfortunately, it was just hard because there was no way to feed the well. Like I felt so Mm -hmm. isolated from everything. Like there was nothing coming in. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if that was because I was trying to write a novel Mm -hmm. and you know, if that, if it would have been easier, if I'd had something more structured around nonfiction to write, but I do think that, you know, it sounds like you definitely have part of your life that feeds the well and then the wellspring is this quiet time. Yeah, yeah. I, when we went into that lockdown here um, where I am, uh, my son is a journalist, which is usually quite good, but in this case it was a little interesting. He rang me up and he said, whatever you do, make sure you can do it for two years. And I was like, okay, two years. I've got to get my act together, you know, <laughs> and um I just like really drilled down into all of that personal work, all of those workshops. I'm like, I'm going to live it like a workshop. I'm going to be in this workshop. It's in this house. This is the garden. This is the reality. Uh, Every morning I'm going to get up like I'm in the workshop. I'm going to do my half hour of dancing. I'm going to do the garden for an hour and a half. You know, like I'm I'm going to be in the workshop of life and of writing this book. Mm -hmm. And I was so, 
I was so passionate about writing this book. I was also quite terrified of dying before it was written. And I was like, I have to, I have to stay alive because I have to write this book. And uh, that was so ferocious in me. You know, that really helped with the, um, the rigor of the isolation mm. and like, well, that that's all very well, but actually I have to write this book. Like this is my one task is to get this book written. And I did have a moment when it was completely finished where I was like, oh, okay, uh, what happens now? Like I said, I have to stay alive long enough to finish the book. Well, uh, I finished the book. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was this kind of pause, this after the out-breath, there was this pause where like, is there another in-breath? Do I just die now? And I really <laughs> didn't want to die. So um, I kept breathing and, you know, time has moved on and now I've actually got like it physically in my hand, the weight, the actual book, mm-hmm. which is very rewarding. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it was a pretty interesting time. Yeah, I always think that time between, like, finishing the manuscript and when it comes into the world is a weird, it's a weird liminal space to be in for writers because it's like you feel like, you know, the the work, I guess, you know, the the work of it and, I mean, editing is its own work too, that's just a, such an odd place to be in with a finished manuscript until mm. it's in the world and other people see it for the first time. It's almost, to me, it's almost like it doesn't exist. Like, did that happen? Mm. Kind of thing. Do you? I did have you- that a little bit, but because this book was so large, mm-hmm. um, the, the final editing um, piece, which we did in sections, uh, like my amazing editor, Becky, and I did in sections, uh, and it got really crammed up very close to the publication time Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. So it felt like we were intensely working on it, you know, like deep, deep in the mire of the kind of twigs and leaves of it, (laughs) um, of this tree, (laughs) totally. And and then there was just a very short time until it actually existed. Uh, But what did happen to me was that it existed in the United States and people were like showing it to me over Zoom or sending me photos and I physically did not have a copy because the world shipping had, you know, practically ground up freight and, you know, was in a very limited way. So it took ages, like I think more than a month of me seeing people having a physical copy till I had a physical copy. And that was really weird. That was like, oh, yes, we do live at the ends of the universe here. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, that is. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, the shipping. I mean, A, the shipping is always fraught when you're talking about that kind of distance with publication days and stuff like that. But to have the pandemic stuff on top of it, that had to be weird to wait so Mm -hmm. long. Yeah. Oh, so in the, I I guess I have two questions. Like one, what was the impetus to finally write this, which sounds like is, you know, you're kind of seeing as your magnum opus book Hmm. and specifically like the memoir part of it. Like I loved it that you included that because I do think that the Kabbalah for a lot of people who are coming to it for the first time or, or, or just, you know, interested but don't know that much about it seems almost impenetrable so to include that piece I think was so helpful to see it embodied but you mentioned in the book that you have done this process of going through the whole tree multiple times and I was curious how you decided which of those journeys to include as the memoir part like why why that one in particular (laughs) I I mean it was most interesting really (laughs) um and it was the most vibrant to me. It was one. It was the most recent. Um, mm-hmm. It felt it felt so pithy. Like uh, for people who haven't read it, um, and I do say in the introduction, oh, like there's a bit of sex in this book. Like not actually much <laughs> explicit sex, but um, and my my publisher when we were in the stage of like commissioning the manuscript, uh, wrote to me and said like. Uh, most people don't usually put sex in a Kabbalah book. Um, are, you, are you sure about this? <laughs> and I was like, well, if they don't, they should. You know, the Kabbalah is about the meaning of life and, you know, how can sex, like that's how we're alive is through <laughs> sex and um, not to mention, you know, sexuality and sharing sexuality and I think actually breath and if you think about human breath and tree breath, which is so intimately related, like that's pretty, that's sex, you know, like I, I just can't even separate sex from the Kabbalah, mm-hmm. um, perhaps in a much broader sense than many people talk about sex. And then with the memoirs, um, after uh, 
my publishers and editors read the first draft uh, they, they of the whole book. They wrote back to me and said, are you sure that you want to publish this stuff? I mean, like once it's published, you know, it's out there. Like this is very intimate. And I was like, oh, you know, um, perhaps these people actually don't read very much um, fiction, for example. <laughs> and, uh, um, this is not, you know, this is not that out there. And I get that it's out there for a Kabbalah book and mm-hmm. possibly for a nonfiction even, you know, witch or occult or pagan book. But I've always included memoir in my, all my books have it. Um, I think it's an essential part of like, this is the work and this is how it has worked me. Mm-hmm. I, I think those two pieces just really go together. They go together really well. Um, and and even though it's not fiction, memoir writing, it's closer to that than the mm-hmm. nonfiction. Oh, this is how to do this exercise. Oh, this is the meaning of Keter or how triads work in the tree of life. And so for me, it's my favourite piece of the writing always. Um, like essays, the essays in that book, I call them essays, you know, the, the, the main sections. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that I'd contracted to write a book that had 11 essays in it. I was <laughs> like, 11? <You> know, like, <laughs> they're the most gruelling, demanding, you know, like crucial pieces of the book but the memoir is a delight for me to write and the thing about uh, choosing to write about sexuality conscious relating intimacy I guess intimacy is the best word for those memoirs the journey of intimacy and it just felt perfect for the tree you know that that story of intimacy of love of sharing of connection of um, life force that is the story of the tree of life. That's the story of the divine giving birth to or choosing to relate to humans. That is the story of the big bang, you know, coming through um, like all those magnificent um, starburst photos that we're seeing at the moment from um, the James Webb telescope to, to this, to these two humans, you and me, here yeah. on this, you know, technology, all of these atoms cooperating together to make this happen. Uh, that's a story of intimacy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really, I was reading through it and we touched a little bit before it. I said, you know, I was reading, I read some passages out loud to my husband and um, like, I, I did feel brave to me just because, you know, as a fiction writer, yes, I write sex scenes and things like that, but it's not about me, but I always know people are going to make assumptions about me based on those sex scenes. Cause they're like, it's in your brain. You, you thought of this thing, right. But to have a lived experience shared with, with just, it is intimate and it feels very intimate reading it. Like, I think anyone who comes away from the book who doesn't feel like they know something about you because of what you shared, that would be strange to me. They would not feel some intimacy with you as another human <laughs> having read this. Um, but I was just like, oh, it's so brave. And I thought, oh, you are also brave because you are in situations in those memoir that I was like, I don't know that I would be trusting enough to put myself in those situations. And I think mm-hmm. that really then speaks to the topic of the book. Like you said, so. I I mean, there are are these things. I want to put a little disclaimer about writing memoir. Two things. One is by the time the thing's published, it's as if it happened to someone else a long time ago. Like a friend told me a story and, you know, like, yes, yes, that was me. But, you know, it was years ago by now. And I just kind of like, it's not me right now. (laughs) So there's that distancing thing. But the other thing is crafting a piece, like, a piece of fiction, a piece of nonfiction, a piece of memoir, a poem. It's as much about what you leave out as what you put in. And Mm -hmm. so they are crafted, written works. Yes, it is totally drawing on my experience. Yes, those things happen. You know, other things were happening as well at the same time that I left out or edited or I couldn't fit in or it didn't really work with the story. Sometimes I patched timelines together in an odd way, you know, like it's a piece of craft and, uh, just as fiction or nonfiction is, or poetry, you know, it's the, the craft of, of using that. Yeah, that was my source material, my actual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes, it's genuine and heartfelt and present and true, and, yes, it's me on a page and those other things as well. Yeah. No, I think, well, I think that's good advice to you for writers who are listening about memoir is that it's you but it's not you in the now. I think that is good a good thing like you know tweet that or whatever well maybe not tweet it based on what's going on right now but you know there, there's your there's your like snippet for the show um but so I'm curious now like um I always ask people kind of at the end what they're working on but because of like just the nature of this work like how do you go from what sounds like this in kind of 
you know, like you said, pouring of everything that you've done into this work, how do you then look, okay, so what comes next? Like, how Mm. do you make that transition into the next thing? Yeah. For me, this book is is the tree of my life, you know. So this was this attempt to capture it all, like why do I exist? And then within that tree, you know, there's there's some beautiful fruits, there's some beautiful birds, there's um, the seasons passing and the leaves turning. You know, there's so many details to write a whole book that would be like a jewel hanging within that tree. Mm-hmm. And I you know, even see my other books that I'd written previously as being part of that, you know, like Elements of Magic, like like part of the ground that nurtures that tree, um, the dark goddess as being, you know, hidden kind of in, in one of the darker recesses under the branches, you know, but this whole kind of event happening. So I guess I think of another book as being like a piece of fruit that is, has ripened on this tree and is mm-hmm. is there or something like that. Oh, I like that. I I also love that you have written a book that is um, available for endless metaphor about how life and writing evolves. <laughs> that that's wonderful. Um, I mean, this book took me three years to write, and mm-hmm. usually a book takes me one year to write. Now, a lot of that was not writing, uh, and I use that as a like a verb, the not writing. Mm-hmm. Um, as in all I wanted to do was write, all I needed to do was write and I was unable to write type of, so it was still very absorbing and still part of the writing of this book was the non-writing. Um, yeah, so it, it is a big book in more ways than just its volume and weight, uh, the amount of my life force that it took to create it. And almost all the time, even when I was writing it, I thought it was utterly impossible. It would never get written and I certainly could not write it. And the only way I really tricked myself around that was by writing a 1,000 words a day and saying, well, obviously, clearly it's ridiculous that I could ever write this book. Um, I never will be able to, but I probably can write a 1,000 words and, you know, on this very specific topic, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And and just writing it. It's the only book I've ever written that I wrote from start to finish. Um, usually because it's nonfiction and I always have a contents page and I know what I'm writing. I, I choose the bit that I feel like writing. This book I knew I could not do that. I was already so mired and like, you know, up over my eyeballs in in concepts and ideas that the only way I could just even barely keep a track of the threads of it, the complexity of the many threads woven through it, was to write in very strict order. So I wrote it exactly in the order um, that it appears. Oh, I mean, wow. maybe we moved one section around, but but mm-hmm. I could not track the number of threads or octopus tentacles or leaves and butterflies or whatever they are, stars falling, exploding, the atoms. I could not track them <laughs> except by going very tightly exactly through right. the order of the manuscript. Yeah, I don't, for some reason that just amazes me thinking about writing this, this particular nonfiction book that way. Um, I mean, I write novels that way from start to finish, which not even all novelists, you know, not even all fiction writers do. But I just kind of assumed from reading it, like all the memoir had been written together, all of the, so that, I don't know, that just impresses and fascinates me even more that you write it that way. <laughs> I, I mean, I had like about, I don't know how many dozens and maybe a hundred little scraps of paper and things stuck up on my wall and in piles beside me and sorted into folders um, with little grab phrases or ideas or workings out. And certainly I had a plot of the content of the memoir and, and, you know, like I knew and the essays and all of that, like I had many pages of that type of back work, but the actual writing, yep. Start um, to finish. Yeah, that's a, it's impressive. So what what are you like? What is feeding you now? Like, what are you interested in now? Like, are you researching? Are you writing? Are you reading? I'm always reading. I'm always writing, and <laughs> I think life is research. So I have never set out to write a book that I knew nothing about to begin with. I only ever write a book when I feel so full up with having lived that work and created that magic that it's like, oh, this is a whole book here. (laughs) It's kind of like it's come through or it's coming through. I could bring it through. And, yeah, I'm I'm doing a collaborative book for my next book and I've got another book that is kind of bubbling away. I feel like it's very pre-birth, you know, still deeply under the ocean um, another book that I'm not sure how to write. That's not my next book, but mm-hmm. it's happening there. 
Yeah. I, I'm, I love how those things kind of bubble up too. Yeah. But what yeah, is kind collaborative of writing like for you? How is that? Is, you've done this before. So mm-hmm. how is that so, process different for you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so I've written with uh, Theo Gede Palmer, uh, my dear friend and co-teacher, and uh, we're both part of the reclaiming tradition. And we've created two books together within the content, I guess, or the teachings of that tradition, which is The Magic of the Iron Pentacle, which we co-wrote together. So that was our first uh, book that we wrote together. And we said at the end, we've written a book together and we're still friends. We still love each other. (laughs) So that was a great victory, you know. Uh, And definitely the process is not all smooth, but it was amazing and deeply creative and actually probably much smoother than either of us imagined it would be. Uh, and we were so inspired by that that after a few years we co-created another book, Elements of Magic, which actually ha- also has a lot of other contributors mm-hmm. as well as ourselves from the reclaiming tradition. And, yeah, yeah, I, what is it like? I mean, that's like asking what is it like to be in a relationship? I think it so <laughs> depends on on who you're doing it with yeah, no, and what sense. the parameters are and, um yeah, because because Theo and I have have taught together a lot, worked together a lot, um, are, are close friends. Uh, we have a good kind of grasp of each other's strengths and ha- how to make those two sets of strengths work together. I think mm-hmm. one of the things is it is quite a lot of work, and it's barely less work than writing a whole book on your own. So two people putting in almost as much work as what they would to write a book on their own and putting it into only one book, uh, it's a bit of a thing, but I think it's magical and beautiful. Yeah, I like that. So what are you you reading these days? Oh, uh, well, I read a lot. Um, I, as you know from from reading Falling Through the Tree of Life, like I like astrophysics and, you know, when I say astrophysics, I mean astrophysics for the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I read a fantastic book by Katie Mack recently called The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. I think that's what it's called. So sublime. Um, I read novels and I'm currently reading, what am I reading? A.S. Byatt, I think. Um, okay a book called Babel Tower, uh, which oh, yeah. is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And uh, fantasy and science fiction, speculative fiction, like that's my passionate personal love. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I guess something that I read recently and is still really, oh, I mean, there's so many things. I've got three different things when you ask that question. But um, N.K. Jemison's um, maybe it's called The Obelisk Gate, a trilogy, Broken Earth, the Broken Earth trilogy, the mm-hmm. Obelisk Gate, I think is the middle one. I mean, that was so stunning. I really want to reread that. I yeah. love it hovering around. I know, I, um, I, I love spe- I, speculative fiction is kind of the space I write in, and I, I love that you read that. The books that are recommended, I mean, one of the books was The Overstory, which I just read. Mm. And that is a book you kind of have to sit with. <laughs> like, mm. It is, mm. it is, but it was, it's a perfect book to read with your book or to read around the time ha- having read your book, I was like, Oh, this is really amusing to me that these things kind of fell together. Um, because it, I mean, the Iowa story is also a tree of life book. I mean, there's really it no totally way around is. it. Yeah. It totally is. I found that a very hard book to read and, um, it took me, it took me quite a lot of effort to read it. I think <laughs> it, it's a book that demands quite a lot from the reader. Yes. for a fiction book uh yeah and and also it's very what would I, I think it interrogates the reader mm-hmm. in in a way that a non-fiction book like might do about what is your responsibility to this planet yeah as a living being conscious and you kind of can't get away from that question throughout that book uh, like the further i think the further i read into it the more i was framed within that question and the less the characters were. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, um, I read it with a book group and that was kind of everyone's takeaway too. It's like um, you realize at some point that you are woven into those roots and branches of the book as you're reading it. Like it's, you you can't really escape that. I listened I look, I, to it 
as well, which was, okay. very, it was like 55 hours. <laughs> so let's do it a little accelerated speed to get through it. But um, yeah, I would just find myself like listening to the book while I was trying to do something else and being completely unable to do anything else. So I think I heard an interview with him. I'm pretty sure this was him. And I just heard a bit, like I was in the car, I turned the radio on, it was three quarters of the way through the interview. And I'm pretty sure that he said that he moved close to a forest to write that book and he was unable to move away ever again, basically. Like yeah. that it had changed his life in his relationship in writing to it. trees. Yeah. 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 The book group that I'm reading with, we kind of, our, our theme has a lot to do with kind of um, – themes in that book, but also like emergent strategy. So we read a lot of Adrian Marie Brown. And so it's kind of been this whole process of reading it. And, um, but it, it's funny, like I said, reading kind of what I've been reading this year with this group and reading your book together, it's like, oh, wow. I wish I had known to tell them that maybe we should have included your book. <laughs> so, Thank you. I'm sending Please. it to the facilitator because I was like, maybe this could be part of what we read next year. Um, Thank you so much. I'll just much. be ahead a little bit. I mean, so. what one of my ambitions with that book was really to write an accessible, readable Kabbalah book, mm-hmm. a book that somebody who really had like I don't know Kabbalah books you said you've only read two of them and um I had read some before obviously I'd read quite a lot of them um and and some of them were you know had accessibility within them but I I just wanted to write a really kind of human book that would make sense I mean that's what I always wanted mm-hmm. even as a child a very young child I always wanted to make sense of the universe like why will no one explain it to me why does no one understand it do other people not stay awake at night like worrying that they don't understand the point of the universe you know and I I just wanted to like since the, it seemed the Kabbalah had actually taught me this oh you know, had actually gifted me this amazing, possibly misguided, but I'm trusting it for the moment, understanding uh, about the universe and about life. I, I really wanted it to be human, accessible, mm. uh, and and at least to explain my vision and potentially invite people some ways that I think lead towards them creating their visions mm-hmm. of, of the meaning of life. Yeah, well, I think you've achieved that. Like I said, I have read your book now and um, Infus Books, Queer Kabbalah book. They, inter- she, they were one of the very early people I interviewed for the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, like I have always kind of looked at the Kabbalah or approached the Kabbalah as like knowing that's kind of an underpinning of Western esotericism for good or bad you know, the, mm. and how it came to be part mm-hmm. of that. But it always kind of seemed um, unapproachable, like just huge. Like if I'm going to do this, I can't, there's nothing else. There's no space for anything yeah. else. And not realizing like from Emphasis book and your book that the space is inside. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I guess that I, was, that it, you, both of your books have this embodied approach to Kabbalah that I think is really different from my understanding just in the pieces I'd gotten before that. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, you said at the beginning, Western occult magic. Like I think that's kind of down to them. I kind of liked it being a mystery and and kind of fairly incomprehensible. But actually going back, I mean, the Kabbalah is Jewish. It is, you know, like the Western occult magicians took, you know, bits of it that they fancied and crafted it into something that is kind of like a... how many people can I offend? You know, like it's a kind of like yeah, a, an explicit reading. You can offend as many people as you want. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like um, putting up a Christmas tree in your in your front room instead of going into the forest, really. And the Kabbalah is Jewish, and the power of the writing and the history of the writing and the thousands and thousands of years of experience um that form the body of the work are Jewish Mm. and that is to me like revisiting that place or coming from that place or or belonging to that place uh that's the heart of the mystery Mm. and yes the western occult magicians you know in the early 1900s whatever you know had some experience of that and translated it into something uh but why or how that relates to many of us unless we're also working a strict western occult magic tradition and even then it might be a bit dated um yeah sorry I think that that is a big piece of it too I mean just in you know kind of my own experience of kind of unpacking a lot of the stuff of where our traditions come from where those things come from and 
you know, learning more about the origin of the Kabbalah, then I kind of came to this place. Well, this isn't for me because I'm not Jewish. You know, I don't, I mean, there is this family story that maybe in Germany we were, but it is a family story that has no backing in anything that I know of. Um, and definitely no cultural continuation or concept of that. So like, I was just like, this is not, this is not for me. And then kind of, I guess, which is its own disrespect, I guess, that I can't learn about it. I don't have to, I don't know. I, I can't even think of the word I want. <clears throat> and also like how many people can I offend accidentally? Um, like I, to have the knowledge of something and to learn about something and to look at its history and experience in the world is not the same thing as appropriating it and trying to own it. Does mm. that make sense? It does. And I like the word Kabbalah, as I understand it, means to receive. Mm-hmm. And when I think, well, what have we received, us humans? You know, we have received a life as part of this planet Earth. Like we've all received that. And so to me, that implies that all of the mysteries are there within this life, within this planet, and, you know, they're as accessible as we have time and energy and space and, you know, many other things to pursue them. But we have all received it. Mm -hmm. And how we choose to examine it, maybe with a Jewish Kabbalah lens, maybe with a Western occult mystery lens, maybe with, you know, like a intimacy and, and relating and um, sexuality edge, like, or, or a thousand other ways as a gardener, you know, as a carpenter, as an artist, you know, as a mother, like so many ways, uh, but we have all received it. Yeah, no, I think that is um, a, a good summation of that to kind of how to, to think about it, because I do think, um I guess in current conversations about appropriation and the origins of things, like it does feel a little bit fragile sometimes to have those conversations and to know kind of what to explore and what not to explore. I really like the way that you explained it of like, you know, this is a to receive. I like that a lot. And then you decide what to do with it. Mm. <laughs> you decide what yeah, to do with it. How to view it, how to relate yeah. to it. Yeah. No, I really like that. Well, on that note, um, would you like to tell readers, listeners, readers, you can see we're remembering this, um, like what's coming up for you next? This will air in March of next year. So mm, um, March. Actually, no, not March. That was the other one I was looking at uh, earlier in the year. It's like January. Earlier is good. Yeah, so turn, am... January, February. Okay, um, that's, so, that's good so, for like, me. Things coming up around that time. Yes. And what might okay. come next for you and how to get in touch with you or find okay. you. I have a website. It's my name, www.janemeredith.com. That is like, you know, a, a main portal. <laughs> I do have a um, easy and I send it out eight times a year. You can sign up for it on the website. And what is coming up for me next year? Amongst other things, I do run a year-long, like online distance but live taught course on the Kabbalah, Falling Through the Tree of Life, where the invitation is for everybody on that course to inhabit each sephirah for a month um, and do their own Falling Through the Life, uh, Falling Through the Tree of Life journey, as is outlined in this book. Um, And so that is like both immersive and sprawling, um, as intense as you want to make it. We have like one main teaching call per month uh, mm-hmm. and in between like do, do our own thing basically but stay connected. So I would, we'll start that late February, early March um, and I'll put a note up on my website. I also have an author page on Facebook, Jane Meredith. I have an Instagram account, Jane Meredith Author. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm out there. I also am planning to uh, travel in Europe and do some teaching uh, mid next year. And I also, yeah, run distance courses. Like my distance courses, they're on Zoom, they're live taught, they're very interactive and participatory, they're recorded. So I also run other courses from time to time. Not sure what else will be happening next year, but yeah, it's on my calendar on my website. Cool. Well, thank you. So our last question is a little bit of a game of chance. I joked when I started the podcast, it was for me to talk about things we aren't supposed to talk about, but then that became the whole podcast. 
in many ways. Um, so now it is a little game of chance, but I'm going to roll a die. And depending on what number I roll, you'll get a question related to your work and your writing, not just completely out of left field um, about death, sex, religion, politics, or money. Those topics we're not supposed to talk about in polite company. Or if I roll a yep. six, you get to pick. And I think I may have actually asked you the death question already. So hopefully we get a different number. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Three, religion. Oh, this is funny. This is kind of what we were talking about. Um, you know what? We, we kind of covered that because it was really about the erasure of Jew- Jewishness in the Kabbalah and Western tradition. So let's let's try again. There are also no rules to this game, which I like. Oh, okay. You make them up as you go along. <laughs> yes, it is. It is definitely made up as we go along. Five. Oh, so money. How does that feel? Okay. Okay. So um, we kind of talked about this, but you have this life of travel and and kind of exploration when you're not isolated. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I think you know one of those things that people look at when they look at other people's lives is I could never do that because I could never afford to do that. Yeah. So, would you feel comfortable talking a little bit about how you make that life work, where you get to travel and be in? kind of in this expansive space as well I'm, I mean I actually do have some money now but I started traveling a lot when I had no money mm-hmm. and basically uh, I have a few components for that one is uh, I couldn't ever when I was doing it originally I couldn't ever you couldn't ever pay rent or afford to keep a house in your country of origin whilst traveling so when people say I couldn't do that I think many of them might be imagining how could I sustain this whole life here and also afford a whole life elsewhere? Well, probably can't. Um, so it's like the, some equivalent of packing up all your belongings, leaving them at your parents or in storage or, or getting rid of them and putting on a backpack and, and going um, and working. Like I've always worked as I travelled. So obviously I'm very lucky in that and I also made it work. Like people ask me, do you travel so much for your work? And I'm like, well, actually, I travel because I like it. And <laughs> and uh, and I, I, you know, can work anywhere. Obviously, you can write anywhere. Um, I created a profession as a tarot reader, uh, which travels really well, and I partly chose it because it travels. And also um, then there's teaching workshops and whatever else I teach and being a presenter. Obviously, that goes perfectly with travel. Mm-hmm. So... I think it's a bit of prioritising and making it happen. It is also a life of privilege, like it totally is. Uh, and it, I'm so glad that you got this glamorous travelling picture of me from my book, um, and that's part of a reality, but a lot of a reality is actually staying in one place, feeling a bit too isolated and writing my book. Mm-hmm. Um, money, yeah, whatever I've had very different amounts of money at different stages in my life and I think I took a vow um, back when I had almost no money to never let money be the final reason for a decision Mm -hmm. in any direction and to try and kind of get out from under the power of of, I don't can't afford it or it's too much money or like yeah it can be a factor but it can't be the final reason I mean, I did grow up in like a a middle-class family. My parents were quite poor, but they were definitely middle-class and were professionals. And I grew up believing that there would be money for food and shelter and clothing and needs. And so I know that that is a privileged starting place Mm -hmm. Uh, and I can compare it to friends and, you know, comrades of mine who do not have that assumption and and how difficult and different that is. So I think, you know, it's another vexed, layered, complex topic. Mm-hmm. Money for writing, like the only book of mine that has ever made any serious money is Journey to the Dark Goddess. And I do not write to make money. And sometimes people say to me, oh, look, you know, I'm needing a lot of money and I was thinking of writing a book. And I just think those two things are hilarious put together. <laughs> hilarious, you know. There are faster ways. There are faster ways to make money. <laughs> I mean, that is just not a way. No. <laughs> that is just absolutely not a way. Uh, so, yeah, it's teaching. Um, and most writers I know either teach or review. 
mm-hmm. um, and or have a day job basically. Uh, so money and writing uh, do not intimately go together other than the moment, like I met someone down in town the other day who asked me, did I have a copy of my Rituals of Celebration? I went down there, I handed her a book, and she handed me $25 in cash. Like that's about the level at which writing yes. and money go together. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, I do think I, I'm i always kind of surprised that people think, oh, you know, as a writer, you make a lot of money. And then I realized that it is like anything else is that some writers who enjoy a level of celebrity, they may actually make that kind of money. There's a lot of writers who are at that level of celebrity and they also don't make any money writing because the the book, you know, the publishing industry, all of that, like all of the things that have to happen to make a book happen, they all get their cut first. And then the writer gets their cut at the end. And I think a lot of people maybe don't understand how that works but there is this definitely glamour aspect that people have with writers. So I think we earn one to two dollars, and I'm speaking in Australian dollars, for every copy of the book sold. And so if your book sells 10,000 copies, which most books don't, you've earned 10,000 to $20,000 for at least a year's work. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's a reality. Yeah. So if that's the only thing you were doing, you would definitely be living in the garret, somebody else's garret, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. with no heating and, you know, half starving. Yeah. And when is that? The, uh, I was talking to somebody else about this recently, um, I guess in the merger with Penguin Random House and when they, the one that just got stopped, the merger that just got stopped, they were talking about like in the discovery, there was like over half of the books they publish a year don't even sell 500 copies. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And like of that, like some of them don't sell more than 20. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like if you, if you were doing that for a whole year and you only sold 20 books, you're not even living in somebody else's garret. Probably if that's, if that's your, if that's how you're trying to make money. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting life, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone who writes for a living who says that they write for the money. I yeah. just don't know how you could. Like, oh, you, I mean, you can, because you can be a newspaper columnist or something and okay. you can write I, for I, money I that book way. Publishing, but yeah, but yeah, right. yeah. For like, I think there is money in that in kind of journalism and you know magazine writing and things like and that. And educational writing maybe. And a lot yeah. of, it's a lot of work too. <laughs> And you're always mm. writing what someone else wants you to write. You don't get to write what you want to write. So. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of writers who are writing books, like, have that as their day job. So, yeah. you know, they can use their writing in some other way. Oh. Oh. Interesting stuff. Well, I mm-hmm. hope that your writing continues to be fruitful and mm. um, at least at that $20,000 level. <laughs> <laughs> let's all shoot for that right let's all shoot for that twenty thousand dollars twenty thousand books sold that would be wonderful but but thank you so much for sharing your time with me and um for folks who are listening jade is not just has an australian accent she's in australia so we are in different on different days as we record so thank you for taking some time out of your morning as you start your yeah. day after my day thank you so much it's really been a delightful experience and yeah hope that we get to connect magically some other way yeah me too thank you so much witch lit is a production of thousand volt press our intro music is cosmic glow by andrew k and our outro music is voices by alexander shanekar transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com And you can follow us on Instagram at witchlitpod. Thanks for listening and for reading witchy.